Welcome to the eGovernance Academy podcast to discover the future of governance. Tune in for the Digital Government Podcast every Wednesday. Welcome, welcome back to the Digital Government Podcast of eGovernance Academy. I am Federico Plantera, your usual host, journalist, sociologist, and researcher. And today, I'm pleased to actually have a pretty uh, numerous, let's say, uh, panel here at this episode. Indeed, this episode is about the uh, D4D journalism competition winners because there has been uh, a competition for the AUEU D4D Hub project, which supports African institutions to uh, lay the ground for a more sustainable and inclusive digital transformation. Let's say there are um, there are organizations uh, with uh, funding and implementations that come from Estonia, Belgium, Germany, Luxembourg, France, and the Governance Academy is one of the implementing partners of this project. So uh, there has been this journalism competition where uh, the aim was to give visibility, first of all, of course, to African journalists, so essentially my colleagues in uh, in Africa, and second, um, the people who use online media to report over the impact of digital technology on people's lives. And then as well, also like hinting at the policies that could be enacted to increase even more, let's say, this uh, this uptake and the advantages. Uh, 175 uh, submissions uh, were uh, put forward from uh, 36 different countries, and uh, we have here the three winners. But uh, the three winners are, uh, I mean, have already been announced, so I'm not. This is not news, let's say, since we're talking about journalism. Uh, I have with me then Daniel, who arrived first, Wesley, who was the second and Beth, who plays third. And I would start exactly exactly from Beth. So Beth Caruana from Kenya. Uh, um, And uh, Beth, I mean, I would say, introduce yourself just very shortly and uh, what was your article, essentially. Uh, Thank you very much, Federico, for that introduction. Uh, As I said, my name is Caruana Mwai. I'm a health and science journalist based here in Nairobi, Kenya. Uh, My work focuses on maternal and child health mental health and technology, and stories on water, climate-based solutions, and wildlife. Uh, My article was on how telehealth promoted a safe maternal care during the COVID-19 pandemic in Kenya. Okay, so your article was on uh, your article was on uh, telehealth. Like, why mm, do you think? Why did I mean? Did you decide to talk about it? Like, there was there's like some specific issue that made it come up, and. why was I mean? Did you find the topic interesting? Also, uh, I covered this story uh, in January, but uh, the preparation for the story started in December because uh, I had been selected for ITM residency in journalist program, and the conference was more about tropical and zoonotic diseases. So um, I chose to cover the topic of. COVID-19 pandemic and maternal health. And the reason why I chose to cover this topic is specifically because pregnant women uh, were more vulnerable to COVID-19 and I needed to understand how uh, the government or uh, health professionals were helping or making sure that um, safe maternal health was also being provided amid the COVID-19 pandemic. 
Uh, I found it to be very interesting because then uh, I saw how technology has great potential to transform maternal and child health, uh, and especially in developing countries like Kenya, where we have high birth maternal uh, death rate, and also most women in the rural communities are not able to access um, maternal health care services uh, very well. But so in this sense, would you say that uh, I mean, telehealth, of course, like as a form of digital medicine, do you think that it actually, mm, I mean, that it can be tapped into even more, let's say, so uh, it has not reached its full potential, let's put it this way, in terms of the, the amount of people and the typologies, like the different categories of people that it can help or that can use telehealth, or maybe uh, that, mm, let's say, it's a solution that so far has proven to be particularly effective for this group of people so for example the one that you decide to write about uh, yes of course it has not yet been fully tapped uh, and the reason being uh, before COVID-19 pandemic uh, telehealth was mainly not used for treatment as I gathered uh, during my interview uh, with professionals uh, health professionals but mainly it was just used to refer people but now during the COVID-19 pandemic uh, it became essential to uh, to use uh, telehealth uh, to provide uh, services. And so there are still some challenges, of course, when you're starting to adopt something, there are challenges that comes up with it. And I feel with time, uh, telehealth can be fully uh, adopted uh, to provide a safe maternal health for pregnant women. And more so, I think the pregnant women, uh, and actually in general, all women, uh, they need to be educated more about telehealth because then again, people are not always open to change. They need to understand more about telehealth and the difference of telehealth uh, and uh, having on-site or face-to-face -face, uh prenatal and antenatal physics. Okay, Beth, thanks a lot, because this actually introduces a topic, I mean, uh, to us and to our audience in general, which is the topic of like digital healthcare that we have addressed uh, as eGovernance Academy, for example, when it was the case with vaccine certificates, or when it is the case with like some, um, I don't know, with the, how to say, with the enablers of digital governance, governance, when we talk about, for example, the confidentiality of the data, or when we talk about the electronic identity that is necessary to access uh, digital registers. So this also like, gives another, let's say, not, not spin, let's say, but allows us to see another angle of digital health. And from this instead, interesting thing is that now the second article that we talk about is in a completely different, let's say, economic sector. And indeed, now I will refer to Wesley, because Wesley wrote an article on uh, essentially uh, digital farming. He's also from Kenya. And uh, Wesley, introduce yourself a little bit, but then uh, especially like a few words about your article, because indeed, I know that it's about a digital farming, but this means that, of course, I mean, uh, what you write about defies, let's say, the uh, maybe not expectation, but like thought that in agriculture, or that agriculture could be one of those sectors where digital development may lag behind a little bit, let's say, no? Thank you very much, Federico. Uh, I'm Wesley Langat from Kenya. I'm a freelance journalist for Thomson Reuters Foundation, and I'm based in Nairobi. Uh, I do climate change, uh, environment, and agriculture. Uh, basically, I did an article on uh, uh, agricultural apps and how it has helped to enable farmers 
and also vendors in the city uh, acquire uh, farm produce. And my main reason why I pref I, I started uh, doing that story is because uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic, there was a lot of, everything came to a standstill, especially movement of goods, movement of people. So I thought it could be wise to find out all these techno technological apps which have been uh, launched in Af Africa. How does it meet the, 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 the needs of the local population, especially in the rural areas and also in the informal settlements uh, in Nairobi? So I, I, I started trying to analyze like at the local level, how at the local level and also at the simplest level, how these technological apps could improve uh, access of services and goods, especially for the rural population who are living in informal settlement and who are not able to move to access to open air markets because by then the open air markets where they normally, the traditional way of acquiring food, uh, goods and services were closed. So then I started doing, the, uh, analyzing and moving to their places and interviewing them and see how the, tech, uh, the, tech, uh, the tech, uh, digital apps were, were using via their mobile phones. And also it was a point in time where I, I traveled to the interior part of, of uh, parts of Kenya and find out uh, how farmers were able to access uh, food stuff, uh, sorry, uh, farm inputs and also be able to move their, their, their farm out, of, out from the farm to their, to their market and how they were, they were able to access the financial services and also climate-related information. So my article uh, cut across uh, the farmers and, 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 and the consumer, consumers aspect in the, in the, in the up and center. Yes, Wesley, okay, thanks. And uh, indeed, let's talk a bit more about this because a couple of questions that I, that I had on the topic when I was, reading, when I was actually like reading the, the article, earlier was one uh, one regarding uh, a bit like the how to say the proportion let's say of the output you know, that comes from farming and agriculture distributed across regions in the sense if uh, um, most or um, a large part of the agricultural production let's say is happening outside the big centers you know, or outside the urban areas uh, then uh, these uh, farmers are aware, for example, of the app, are aware of the digital solutions that they can use, are aware of the fact that this thing called digital, let's say, can be used. The reason why I'm asking this is because I am pretty sure that in South of Italy, where I am from, many of them don't. So that's why, I, that's why I'm just I'm making like a mental comparison. And I'm wondering, how is that the situation in terms of like awareness of the digital solutions in this sector there in Kenya? Uh, the awareness of, of these digital apps, you, you, you know very well, uh, the, the phone, mobile phone penetration in Kenya is very high. Almost each and every household has a mobile handset. And also uh, in these uh, digital apps, they are being op op operated via uh, mobile phones. And uh, those, the companies who, who launch these digital apps and also targeting the farmers, I've done before a lot of awareness and training at the local level. So most of the farmers, they are need, the, the, the need basis of farming inputs are also made them to aware to find out alternative way of uh, accessing all these uh, 
uh, or generated interest in terms of using the mob mobile apps, especially when the when everything was on a stand standstill during the COVID nineteen pandemic. Uh, it's generated a lot of interest to find out how, how farmers can uh, uh, can access all these farm inputs and also uh, advertisement via the radio and education via the campaigns using the radio, uh, local radio station, which is the most widespread form of information in Kenya. And this made farmers to, uh, this created an awareness of the, all these digital apps. Yeah, and I think that awareness is also proven by the uh, by a report actually that you mentioned in your article, the report by McKinsey and Code that was published in uh, in January, which refers that actually uh, farmers across the sub-Saharan uh, African region uh, are using about are could list, let's say, altogether like over four hundred apps that they are using now, and this and we're talking about in any case like even including low-income farmers or maybe even more so low-income farmers. So it's interesting that the topic of awareness is definitely there. And with uh, something from uh, agriculture, now instead we move a bit to the labor market more at large, let's say, because the topic instead uh, that the winning article of the competition focused on is indeed about, I mean, it's titled direct, I could just mention the title because it's Solving Africa's Tech Talent Problem. Uh, all hands on deck. And indeed, here there is Dania, author of the article, connecting from uh, Nigeria, uh, who, I mean, who will just talk to us about, first of all, Dania, as we did already, a few words about yourself and uh, and then uh, just introduce the article, let's say, to me and the rest of the audience. All right. Thank you so much, Federico. Uh, Daniel, there me. I'm a senior reporter at Tech About, which is a digital publication that's focused on innovation and tech in Africa. And uh, typically, you know, I, I look into my bit as big tech and you know investigative stories in terms of Africa. You know, just the impact of tech in Africa. And for this, you know, competition. Um, it's not on head of that, you know, there are issues with getting talent. For example, in the tech space, there are constant, you know, complaints about people saying, oh, we need to hire, we need to hire. And interesting irony is that a lot of people, you know, raise a lot of money and now they're trying to get people to execute based on, you know, their ambition. So for my article, I'll basically just looking into what does it really take to solve this talent issue and i intentionally try to look away from saying oh the government right you know ultimately whatever the government does can cascade but what are people doing um to solve this issue and and I, an irony with the um whole issue is that on its own there are not enough jobs for africans right there's a debt um and then the irony is that even with this with a few jobs there's still complaints from employers of labor that hey, we don't have, we are not getting the right skilled persons. So I looked at a number of solutions from the first obvious one, which is, oh, train people, right? Train them, train them. To looking at um, tech solutions like Fuzu, which is actually like a companion, a lifetime mentor that is helping people 
giving them advice on what courses to take and all of that. And then looking at, you know, away from, I guess, technical skills somewhat to era war, which is training people that have passion and skills to actually give them, um, teach them how to use digital tools as simple as Facebook or Twitter or, you know, how to market themselves. And lastly, I also looked at, you know, hackathons, which, you know, interestingly, I think is that people don't pay much attention to, but apparently being incentivized to actually learn a particular skill in a short time to get a reward can actually spur people to upskill themselves quickly. And I wrapped up by looking at what companies can also do internally, you know, just by creating a better place for people to learn and also move departments. Yeah, so that's an overview. Yeah, Daniel, and actually quite, I think, close to this last point that you mentioned, uh, what caught my eye, apart from the apart from the, one of the insights, let's say, that you, that you published together with the article, for example, the fact that uh, most of the software developers in Africa are based in just essentially like five countries, with in any case, South Africa being the one that, let's say, um, collects the most of them or like gathers the most of them. One thing that actually was very interesting to me is the fact that one of your, uh, um, you mentioned at some point throughout the article, uh, this topic of like this this quote, our fight is against hunger, let's say. No? What do you mean exactly with that? Could you elaborate a little more? Because I think that that's an interesting aspect when it comes to the labor market and these jobs, because of course, like it, it's often regarded as if these are, you know, the up-and-coming highest paid jobs that you could possibly get, especially like you know, in Europe and in Western, in the Western world in general. So uh, what does that mean? What did that refer to? Okay, thank you very much for that question, Federico. Uh, so the instance there had to do with, so the first example I gave, which is about old school, which is a training you know, institute that um, trains both uh, mid-level engineers to become like senior level and world class and then young people to become mid-level engineers. And um, the basis for that is, so there's this interesting um, point that we say, for example, in Nigeria, where it's like everything competes against food, right? So if you're trying to make a purchase decision, you're thinking, you know, um, the, typically, arguably, the opportunity costs that you could have used that money to buy food. And I can imagine that it's something that would be prevalent in other African countries. So when people are looking to get into jobs, when people are looking to upskill themselves to be better a lot of time it's because they need to take care of that basic necessity right it, it's not just to yeah it's better to move up but it's also a thing of you want to survive if i can put it like that or be in a better place because there are many people that are living very close to the edge and such that any unforeseen circumstance can just topple them over to death right and you know you start struggling to even meet your basic necessities so i think it's important to just point that out that hey it's not just you know um yes it's it's a desire to live more comfortably but it's moving from a very um very tight spot right no no i totally get it and absolutely like a valid point to highlight because it, it seems because you know it seems that i mean it sounds rather as something that is like context specific, but then in any case, since we're, if we just abstract it a little more and then ab abstract it, let's say, and just talk about the labor market dynamic at large, let's say, that could be applied also to other contexts, then 
uh, we see how that is definitely something to take into account also beyond, for example, I don't know, Nigeria, where you are, or uh, some, or uh, Kenya, where I think that the app that you mentioned was actually started, no? Uh, I think that's where it started. So, okay, but Daniel, one last thing to you to wrap it up. And in the meantime, I would say, uh, first of all, like, thanks to all three of you for joining us. Uh, Wesley, thanks for the for the uh, for the insight into the the, the farming the, the, or how to use like the digital technologies in farming and how that's happening in Kenya. Uh, thanks also to Beth for the telehealth uh, contribution. Daniel, I will just close with you simply for one reason, and it's the fact that among the how to say among the rewards, let's say for winning the competition, there is also the fact that you're coming to Tallinn. So I mean, I have to mention that. And uh, so in a month. I think in a month or so you're going to be you're going to be in Tallinn uh, for the conference. Like, what do you how do you feel about it? What do you what are your thoughts and uh, are you looking forward to it? I mean, of course, I expect the answer to be yes. <laughs> okay, you put me in a tight spot now. I mean, I don't say yes now, <laughs> but then um, don't mind me, just kidding. Oh yeah, sure, I'm definitely looking forward to it. I think because it's you know e-governance and to be fair many tech events are focused on different things i don't think i've been to a tech um events focused on governance and it's important to get to learn more about the progress being made um there in different countries which would arguably expand my mind or expand the mind of people to see what's possible because i don't know about other parts of the world but typically in nigeria and maybe a few african countries uh, the government typically gets you know um criticized for not being moving as fast as possible in adopting digital solutions so it's important you know to learn from them for now to meet other people i'm aware that there will be other people from other countries western countries and also other african countries so i'm looking forward to learn and also to, you know, learn a bit about the city of, you know, Tallinn and Estonia itself, because I know it's a very digital, advanced um, society. So, um, yeah, just looking forward to it. And I'm also honestly hoping for you that the weather will be better than it is at the moment. <laughs> but in any case, which is what, I mean, every Estonian resident who cares about a visitor would say. <laughs> but in any case, uh, with that, actually, I will just wrap up this episode by doing, by remembering everyone, uh, reminding everyone that uh, there is actually one session at the upcoming e-governance conference that focuses on digital development in Africa. Uh, it is called Laying Ground for Digital Services, Case Studies from Africa, and it will take place on the uh, 10th of May, um, as the governance conference is, in, is indeed uh, happening between May 10th and May 12th. And uh, of course, as usual, as always for these past episodes of the podcast, I invite all the listeners, everyone in our audience to uh, head to 2022.egovconference.ee and uh, register to join the conference because Daniel will be doing it in person, but also Wesley and Beth, for example, have the possibility for doing it uh, online. And uh, the conference is indeed in a hybrid format. So whether in person in Tallinn or whether online from your computer, don't forget to check out the program and uh, and register to participate in the event. That's it for today's episode of the Digital Government Podcast. And uh, thanks to all of you for joining me today and um, us, the rest of the guests from uh, Connecting from Africa. And uh, uh, just tune in to the next one. Have a good day. 
This podcast is brought to you by eGovernance Academy. Tune in on next Wednesday.